The following sermon is from the archives of Dr. Stephen Olford. It was preached during his distinguished ministry at Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Continuing our series, God's Answer to the Burning Issues of Today, our sermon today, God's Answer to Lawlessness. Our text, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Now, here is Dr. Stephen Olford. The lawlessness that abounds in our land today. What contribution are you making? Have you concern about it? Could you call yourself a Christian and stand back apathetically, indifferently? I'm telling you, as I watch my television screen when I have a moment or two, or read the newspapers, or hear the news over the radio, I'm being crushed continually. There are times when I've said to my wife, I don't know how much more we can take in terms of a sense of burden in this great city in which God has placed us. For I have a sense of accountability before God. This is why I am not at rest until we get further abroad with our message and reach more people in the little time that is left to us. Politicians, sociologists, and ecclesiastics are warning us of the trouble which, is vi which will visit our cities during this summer. They painted a grim picture indeed. Indeed, they pointed out that the riots in Watts, for instance, three years ago were simply the beginning of a great master plan. All that has happened thus far is nothing compared with what is projected for the summer of 1968 and beyond. We're told that the troublemakers are ready to set the nation on fire. What this will mean in terms of loss of life, damage of property, disruption of law and order is beyond all computation. If Christians only studied their Bibles a little more closely, they would realize that this state of affairs has not only been foretold, it's anticipated in every age. It's nothing new, though it's getting increasingly worse as the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Perhaps one of the clearest passages on this subject is the second epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians that was read to us a few moments ago. The apostle here reveals to us the events that are going to herald the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And foremost amongst these happenings is what he calls the inequity, or in a word, the problem of lawlessness. And the scripture has a tremendous lot to say about this, but restricting ourselves by reason of time and to this one passage tonight, I want to point out just three things. First, what I'm calling the mystery of lawlessness. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness or of iniquity doth already work. This lawlessness is described as a mystery because it is a secret known only to those whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Ghost. A mystery is that which is known by revelation and only to initiates. In other words, only Christian people can really understand in the light of the Word of God what is actually taking place in our land today. It's a mystery for two reasons. This lawlessness is a mystery because God, in his sovereignty, allows it. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Because God is sovereign, he never imposes himself upon the wills of men and women without their consent. Having made himself known in the power of creation, having made himself known in the purpose of conscience, Having made himself known in the person of Christ, God in heaven waits for the response of men and women in every nation, and especially 
in the favored nation of our beloved United States of America. Paul declared this when he told the Athenians, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And at the times of this ignorance, God winked at. And if you want to know why God isn't intervening at this hour in our own land or in Paris tonight or anywhere else in the world, it's simply this, at this time of ignorance, of the ignoring of God, God winks at. Why? Because the hush of heaven is the hope of humanity. For when God breaks in the next time, he's going to break in in judgment. For at this time of ignorance, God winks at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world of righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Peter tells us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us ward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So even though the mystery of iniquity of lawlessness is already at work in the world, God in his sovereignty allows it. Why? Because he's waiting with infinite patience for men and women to turn to the only solution, even Jesus Christ, through his reconciling work on the cross. But the lawlessness is not only a mystery because God in his sovereignty allows it, but secondly, because man in his slavery ignores it. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Paul is not suggesting that people do not see or recognize evil in the world, even superficially, but he is affirming that because of his slavery to the spirit of the age, man ignores it. Part of the mystery of lawlessness is its inherent power to incapacitate man from doing anything about it. Paul says if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not the gospel, lest the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel of our Christ, should shine unto them. The efforts man is putting forth to better our society, those efforts, I repeat, are totally inadequate to stem the tide of lawlessness which is at work in the world. Yes, God has his own institutions through which the mighty spirit of God, as we shall see in a moment, seeks to stem the tide, but he's limited by the unbelief of men and all the carnal superficial efforts that man is putting forth will never stem the tide of what's taking place in our land today. So, as much as the mystery of lawlessness is lost in the sovereignty of God and in the slavery of man, we're shut up to this fact that there is something working now in the world, not only in Paul's day, but now in the world, and much more so as the devil, devil sees his time shortening and the imminence of the Lord becoming more and more real. But my dear friends, tonight I want to say there's something more than the mystery of lawlessness. This passage teaches the misery of lawlessness. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. The sad fact is that however blind we may be to what is happening, lawlessness is working havoc in our churches, havoc in our homes, havoc in our states, havoc in our land. The misery of lawlessness is implicit in two pregnant words which Paul uses in this very passage, and I want to point them out. The first is what we might call the deceptiveness of lawlessness. Listen to this phrase. Paul speaks of all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. It is simply frightening to learn from this passage that the worst things 
are yet to come. And the worse things become in our land, the more people are going to be deceived. The darker the picture, the grimmer the situation, the blinder men and women are going to be concerning what is taking place. In fact, the time is coming, says Paul, when God will send all rejectors of the gospel a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And although the fulfillment of that passage in all its outworking is going to come after the rapture of the church, coming events cast their shadows before, and the darker the picture, the more people are going to shake their heads and say, so what? I couldn't care less. Most of us are concerned with what is taking place in our ghettos, in our schools, in our universities, as well as the nation generally. And I wonder how many of us are really aware of the satanic powers that are behind the things that are happening. We blame individuals. We blame the whites, so we blame the blacks, so we blame something else. But did you ever realize that behind human beings, as you heard in that tremendous last piece interpreted by the choir, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places? The devil is using many tools. I repeat, he's using many tools. But I am convinced as I speak here tonight, and I speak having weighed this for a long time, that one of the greatest tools he's using in our land today is the one we call communism. And I want to tell you that it's one of the tools that I believe we're going to see more manifest in our country in coming days. Did you know that it's the full intent of communism to conquer the world by or before 1973? And the Reds continue that the Reds insist and maintain that their schedule is five years ahead of their program. Some communist leaders have openly boasted that they will have a dictator in Washington within the next decade. When Khrushchev was still in power, he is reported to have said, 60 million Americans must be removed when we conquer the United States of America. A few months ago in Salem, Oregon, an evangel evangelical pastor was approached by a Communist Party member in an effort to soften up the Communist cause. When the pastor resisted, he was told that the Communists have a complete record of all the pastors in that particular city and all the members of the Church of Salem and that when action is appropriate and the time is right, they will take measures. If the Communists do get control of our country, It'll mean misery for all the religious life of America. An official publication of the Committee on Un-American Activities of the House of Representatives points out that if communism should come to the United States of America, it'll mean that, one, if you belong to a church, you'll have to prepare for persecution. Two, the communists will destroy every copy of the Bible they find. Three, it'll be illegal for your children to attend Sunday school. Four, the communists will indoctrinate your children in atheism. Five, church weddings, funerals, and baptisms will be illegal. Six, mystery work will be absolutely forbidden. Failure to face the facts, and these facts in particular, is an evidence of the deceptive influence of lawlessness which is in the world today. A personal friend of mine, a member of the Plymouth Brethren, the Christian Brethren, John Noble, who vanished for nine years in a Russian slave camp, said this, Don't be complacent. 
We are drowning in a sea of complacency. Americans simply don't want to care. Remember, you are your brother's keeper, including 28 million slaves in labor camps behind the Iron Curtain. The other word which Paul uses is the destructiveness of lawlessness. Deceptiveness. Secondly, destructiveness. Then shall the wicked be one, then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. In his infinite wisdom, God has two methods by which he judges lawlessness. One is present, the other is future. In this day of grace, God allows lawlessness to follow its normal course. In Romans chapter 1, I read some of the most scattering, search statements you'll find anywhere from Genesis to Revelation. Three times over in that chapter, the Spirit of God informs us that when a country begins to go on the skids, when sin takes over, when the devil is allowed rain, listen carefully, God gives people over. God gives people over to uncleanness. God gives people over to vile affections. God gives people over to reprobate minds. What this will mean in terms of an increasing moral declension and degrading sequence of events in our country, I can't begin to imagine. Not only that, what it will mean in civil disobedience with its increased strikes and riots and violence and destruction and war is beyond all computation, too horrible to imagine. And yet all this is not only predicted, but expected, not only because men see it and fear it, but because the word of God teaches it. But there is also a future destruction, which is foretold, a day is coming, when the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming all who've rejected the message of the gospel. Indeed, it is recorded, and I quote, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might be damned who believe not the truth. The misery of lawlessness is the deceptiveness of it all and the destructiveness of it all. Mystery that it is, it's misery. Wake up, America! Wake up, Calvary Baptist Church! But I conclude tonight on a note that's been burdening me and really the message I want to bring. Thank God that isn't all the truth. Against that somber background, I want to add one last point. The mystery of lawlessness, the misery of lawlessness is matched by the mastery of lawlessness. There is a text tucked away here in this reading you heard tonight which goes like this. He who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. He who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Scholars have long debated as to what the restrainer is or who the restrainer is. No less than seven explanations have been furnished down through the centuries. In the last analysis, however, there can be no doubt but that the restrainer is God who works by his Holy Spirit through such institutions as the state, as the home, and supremely as the church. Our concern and our particular concern here tonight is to know something of the promise, the power, and the period of this restrainer. To the first the promise of the restrainer. Our text tells us specifically that he who now restrains will restrain. In the world today, God is at work, even though men don't recognize it. Before he went away, our Savior said 
I will send you a comforter. I'm going away and it's expedient for you that I go away. But if I go away, I'll send you a comforter, a comforter. And when he is come, he will convince the world, reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Through the preaching of the gospel and the witness of the church, the restrainer works like light in the world and like salt in the earth. The salt and light are God's symbols. The light exposes evil. The salt arrests evil. And the Holy Spirit working through the gospel and through the church and through holy believers works as light and salt in the earth. The restrainer, that's the promise of restraint. Not to believe this promise is to reveal that we become involved in the deceptive strategy of lawlessness in our land today. But let us take encouragement in knowing that he who restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. God wants every one of you to be a light. Every one of you to represent salt, to expose evil, to arrest evil. But oh, he longs that he might work in an increasing number of people. For the greater the light, the more the banishment of darkness. The greater the salt, the less presence of corruption. But with that promise of the restrainer, I want to talk about the power of the restrainer. He who restraineth will restrain. While it is perfectly true that we must not forget what we said earlier in this message, that God never imposes himself upon unwilling men and women, yet I want to say that the power of the restrainer in the world today is largely determined by the measure in which we make available our lives to him, our money to him, our time to him, our sacrifice to him, our dedication to him. God is waiting for instruments through which to work. And I want to say that he's limited tonight by unsurrendered, uncommitted Christians. This is why the psalmist says, and he means it here tonight, who will be ready in the day of his power? Who will be ready in the day of his power? What God wants is total yieldedness of all our resources to the Spirit's mighty power and purpose. We have to give him our lives. We have to give him our money. We've got to give him our time. We've got to give him our service. Only as we do this will the power of the restrainer be felt all over our land. I don't forget easily a train crash in South Wales during the years of the war. The blackout had darkened all the lights across the country. This train, plowing its way through the darkness, was derailed by some reason or other, and that train collapsed and telescoped carriage into carriage, and lives were flung all over the place. Broken limbs, crying children, dead bodies. As the morning broke, and those few remaining people and those who gathered to the spot searched around all the debris. A gentleman suddenly recognized a friend of his. He went up to him. He lost his wife. He lost his children. And looking into the face of this gentleman, he said, Isn't your name Dr. So-and-so? Yes, he said, My name is Dr. So-and-so. He said, Man alive, you're a doctor. You're a doctor. Why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? Look at the chaos. The doctor, with tears in his eyes, looked down and said, But, my dear friend, I have no instruments. I have no instruments. Somehow or other, God looks down upon this world and we see it in chaos with broken lives. We see it with sick society. We see it with bruised hearts. And God is being cried to by the church. Oh, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something? And God looks down from heaven and he says, But I have no instruments. 
I have no instruments. I have no instruments. Hi, friend, I want to ask you tonight, what did you give in your pledge tonight? Why did you give in that envelope? What have you given to the gospel? Have you become an instrument? To illustrate what I mean by discipline, sacrifice, and consecration, let me just quote some words from a French communist paper. And it's with a prayer that God will burn with conviction into your heart these words. Listen, the gospel is a much more powerful weapon for the renewal of society than our Marxist philosophy, says this communist. All the same, it is we who will finally beat you. We're only a handful, and you Christians are numbered by the millions. But if you remember the story of Gideon and his 300 companions, you'll understand why I'm right. We communists do not play with words. We're realists, and seeing that we are determined to achieve our object, we know how to obtain the means. Of our salaries and wages, we keep only that which is strictly necessary and give the rest for the propaganda purposes. To this propaganda, we also consecrate all our free time and part of our holidays. You, however, give only a little of your time and hardly any money for the spreading of the gospel of Christ. How can anyone believe in the supreme value of this gospel if you do not practice it, if you do not spread it, and if you do not sacrifice time and money for it? Believe me, it is we who will win, for we believe in our communist message and are ready to sacrifice everything, even our life, in order that our social justice shall triumph. But you people are afraid to soil your hands. The promise of the restrainer, the power of the restrainer, and finally, the period of the restrainer. He who now restraineth will restrain until he be taken out of the way. It is quite clear from the suggestiveness of this verse that the restraining power of God through the Holy Spirit is limited in terms of time. A moment in history is going to arrive when he who restrains will be taken out of the way. Many believe that this will coincide with the rapture of the church and therefore with the peculiar ministry of the the Holy Spirit through the church. After this event, the cup of iniquity will be filled to overflowing, and God will pour out his vials of judgment upon this sin-ridden world. How soon this is going to take place, you and I cannot determine. But with all that's happening throughout the earth today, we cannot but believe that the coming of the Lord draws nigh. In the light of these tremendous facts that we've been considering how zealous we ought to be in redeeming the time because the days are evil, remember there is a mystery of lawlessness, there is a misery of lawlessness, but there is a mastery of lawlessness. Let us rouse ourselves to the highest heights of yieldedness, commitment, sacrifice to be the instruments for God's operation. And beloved people throughout this audience tonight, I believe with all my heart as I stand here that if God were only to find a remnant throughout this land who are totally yielded and committed to him and would kneel and pray and beseech God for the mighty pouring out of his spirit through the church and Holy Ghost was released through personalities throughout this land, we would see the tide of evil stemmed back and what's happened again and again and again and again in history would be repeated again in our time. Revival would turn our country upside down and right side up. The question we must answer, however, is whether we want revolution or whether we want revival. If revolution, God have mercy upon us. On the other hand, if it's revival, then this could be the greatest hour for the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. 
This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.